0: Welcome to episode 253 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. This is a a slightly shorter episode on the objects to observe. Uh, This one will be for the September uh, 2022 night sky. I am Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky. And this podcast is for anybody else that likes going out under the stars. So uh, maybe we should just share a little bit of uh, astronomy info before we... uh, get uh, going, Shane, maybe for people who are just getting interested in astronomy, what's, uh, what's sort of like some general advice we can uh, uh, throw to people?
1: Um, well, probably one of the most important things is you need you need like a chart of some kind so that you know what to look for and how to find it. Um, uh, you know, as you get more experience in astronomy, you'll start to remember where some of these objects are, but uh, certainly chart- star charts are uh, a very important part of that and uh, we always talk about skymaps.com uh you can go there um and we really recommend you print off this this chart and and to not use a phone or tablet um and the reason for that is a, a phone or tablet will have um uh, light that is just too bright usually, even if you turn it to red and even if yeah. you turn down the brightness, it's usually just a little too bright. Yeah. Um, so use paper and then use a red flashlight with hopefully a, a, like a, a dimmable red flashlight if you can find one. And there's many uh, inexpensive uh, astronomy flashlights that do that. In fact, the, the one that I use is from Skywatcher and it just has like a, a wheel uh, that's a potentiometer that dims it to pretty much like you know, all, all the way to no light at all. Um, and then the red flashlight just helps preserve your night vision and still allows you to see your chart uh, in the field when you're at the telescope.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I've i got some of those um, Skywatcher red uh, flashlights as well. Um, a great way to get those is if you go to a star party, usually um, at one of the vendor booths, they'll have uh, a bucket of broken ones. And you can just sort of buy uh, two or three of them for 5 or $6 and then uh, kind of mix and match parts to uh, sort of make your own or make other um, red LED type devices. So I've got a few of those because um, I often lose them or, or Mike steals them. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just kidding. And uh, the other part is that uh, I've got a really good one um, from Rigel systems and they'll, they'll custom make you one if, if you want. And so I had them make one that's red and, uh, and orange on the other side. So instead of being red on one side and white on the other, I have one that's red on one side and orange on the other, although the orange part is kind of flaky. Can you even write them to see if there's a way I can uh, fix that? I think it might be just like a loose solder or something like that. Mm. Anyhow. So what else? Yeah. So you mentioned, uh, not using, tablets or iPhones because because that is problematic because you look at the bright screens and then you go to look at the dark sky and your your visions all washed out even even if you dim those down I remember helping somebody once that had had some software trouble um, we were at a star party and they wanted to make sure that their software was working properly and uh, yeah it it just wasn't great um having having that like that uh, kind of annoying. Um, let's see. So good book, good book. Uh, that I think we, we frequently recommend is uh night watch has all the star charts you need to, uh, to get going. I think, is that fair yeah. to say?
1: Yeah. Uh, night watch is a wonderful book. Um, it, it provides maps of, uh, pretty much all of the major Northern constellations. I can't remember if there's any Southern ones in there, but it, it, it locates or it shows the location of all of the kind of prominent objects within those constellations. Most of them I think are Messier objects, but there's a few others in there. And, uh, that book alone will keep you quite occupied for a long time. Um, but if you want something a little more advanced with more objects, more detail, uh, another one that we like to recommend is sky and telescopes, uh, pocket sky Atlas, which has yeah. a, a ton of stuff in there. And that one's yeah. fairly inexpensive too. I think it's around 20 Canadian dollars and really um if you just wanted to buy one that will last you a lifetime it's that one you know there's mm-hmm. there's enough objects in there that you will certainly not run out uh probably at any point in your life so so it's how really about, good
0: how about some basic uh, sky measurements
1: yeah how
0: so to find your way around the night sky and go ahead
1: yeah we we often refer to things in the night sky in terms of degrees or sometimes arc minutes and arc seconds but We'll just talk about degrees for now. Um, so, um, one, one measurement is your fist. So if you hold your arm out straight and make a fist with your hand, uh, the width of your fist is 10 degrees approximately. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if you're tall, short, long arms, you know, short arms doesn't really matter. This is just sort of a, uh, like a a ratio thing that just works for just about everybody. So, Mm -hmm. That's a good one, um, and you'll hear us talk a little bit about degrees uh, throughout this episode.
0: Yeah. One of the uh, things that you can try out for yourself is the overhead, the point directly overhead, no matter where you are, whether you're at the North Pole, the equator, um, some point in between, which is likely. Um, the, the spot overhead, the direct spot directly overhead, we call that the zenith. So, for example, here right now, passing through the zenith is the star denim. Um, but if you went down to the equator, um deneb would be uh part way between your horizon uh and the overhead, be about uh, i don't know like forty degrees up or something like that um and from down there, perhaps maybe like a star like um oh shoot, I don't know, something in something in maybe uh, uh let's see like Scutum or something like that, maybe that would be directly overhead, right mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm, yeah. yep cool. and if you take your fist then you would count nine fists from the horizon to, uh, the overhead point of the Zenith. So that, that's how it works. People can play around with that if they like. And so when we talk about a degree, say something is a degree, you know, it's, uh, basically, uh, one of your fist. And also, uh, the moon, um, covers half a degree of the sky. So that kind of gives you uh, a good indication of the type of size that, uh, that we're looking at. A lot of times people might think that the moon is much larger, right? Like you said, how big, would the moon be compared to your fist? Some people might just think about that really quick and say, oh, it will be 10 times the size of your fist, but it's, but it's not, it's just one tenth the size of your fist. Um, yeah. If you hold it up like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a good, uh, it's a good reference to uh, navigate your way around the sky.
0: All right. Let's talk about the September night sky in our uh, little bit of abbreviated episode. Um, just so people know someone has appeared to put a railing, uh, the last part of the railing on my deck. So I don't tumble off in the middle of the night when I'm out there observing. (laughs) So you may hear, you may hear some drilling and cutting here in a moment. All right. Um, September 3rd, we have a first quarter moon as we, uh, as we enter the uh, beginning part of September, we'll be, uh, faced with the moon back in our sky, but that feels pretty good right now because right now when we record this, that's about two weeks away. That's two weeks away from today, I think. And, uh, Holy cow, that means we've got about two good weeks of astronomy here, Shane. I'm pretty excited about that.
1: Yeah, I can't wait. I'm on vacation this upcoming week, so I'm going to be out as often as I can if the conditions allow.
0: Yeah, good stuff. September 7th, uh, Juno is at uh, opposition. Uh, It's going to be at 7.9 magnitude, Uh, so that's well within the range of binoculars. And uh, Juno, that's the third... Uh, let's see, that's the third asteroid that was discovered. It was found on September 1st of 1804 by the German astronomer Carl Harding. Uh, He swept it up at Schroeder's Lilienthal Observatory. So uh, have you ever heard of Schroeder's Lilienthal Observatory, Shane?
1: No, I have not.
0: So, because I was thinking that, uh, huh, what did uh, Harding use to discover uh, the asteroid Juno? And I tried looking him up and it wasn't uh, it wasn't available. So then I was like, well, what observatory was he at? Because then you would just you know be able to answer that question. So um, Johann Hieronymus Schroeder, uh, seventeen forty five to eighteen sixteen built an impressive observatory, which had a huge twenty inch reflecting telescope. and it was the best equipment, the best equipped observatory on the continent. And uh, then it was only surpassed by uh, William Herschel's uh, telescope sometime later. So yeah, it's just uh yeah, they he had a pretty big telescope actually he used to uh, to do his astronomy with. And uh, when we think of people making those discoveries back in, uh, know, uh, basically 1800. Um, I didn't expect to see that this guy was using a 20 inch telescope. So that was pretty cool.
1: Wow. Yeah. 20 inches. Uh, that's, that's a whole lot of telescope.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So Juno is one of the largest, uh, asteroids. I think it's about the 10th largest asteroid. It's uh, one of the, uh, stony or S type asteroids. And they estimate that it contains about 1% of the total mass of the asteroid belt.
1: Yeah, that's, uh,
0: that's a lot. <laughs> so if people want to hunt this down, what would be a good way for them to try to find it? How would how would someone go about trying to find it and maybe confirming that they've seen the machine?
1: Well, first thing is finding the, the proper star chart. So this is where uh, the SkyMaps.com can probably be better than uh, uh, the Pocket Sky Atlas because it is dynamic and it can show you things like uh, where an asteroid might be on a particular date. So mm-hmm. you really need an accurate chart. Um, then what you do is you navigate to where you think it is based upon the star field. And probably the best way to confirm whether or not you're observing this asteroid is to sketch that star field, uh, but you know point towards where you think the asteroid is. And then you come back a couple hours later, or even the next night, and see if it's moved against the background stars. Um, if it has moved, you've observed it. If it hasn't moved, um, well, then it was probably just a star. Because probably the key thing to note about observing asteroids is they will look stellar, um, mm-hmm. meaning they will look like a star. Um, so they're they are a little hard to distinguish sometimes. Uh, you know, to determine whether or not you've actually observed it.
0: Yeah. And you won't need a twenty inch telescope to see this one. Uh at oh, seven point nine, basically eighth magnitude. I, I think a good pair of little binoculars, uh, that mm-hmm. should suffice. People should just be able to use that, don't you think?
1: Uh yeah, for sure. And and certainly any backyard telescope, um, you know, because most backyard telescopes will be sixty millimeters in aperture or yeah. larger, uh, will easily show that.
0: Yeah yeah exactly. So I feel like that's one of those things that uh, that maybe people might not have thought of to go looking for, especially if they're just getting started. but uh, finding uh, and confirming uh, asteroids and minor planets um, is actually fairly easy uh, but quite rewarding to do because you know it's kind of neat to to think about the fact that you hunted down um, one of these objects that was that was found uh, a couple hundred years ago.
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: all right. this month of september twenty twenty two the moon is going to pair up with a whole pile of the planets. I don't know if you caught that when you saw my notes, but uh, there's a lot of pairings here coming up.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's a great month for planetary observing um, because it'll be easy to find a number of these planets just with some mm-hmm. good anchors that we often uh, talk about.
0: Yeah, and Saturn, uh, which is just past uh, opposition now, uh, and, and in fact, uh, still less than a month past opposition on the 8th of September uh, Saturn is going to be just four degrees north of the moon. So um, what we try to do is give people an indication of uh, where the moon is in relation to a planet. We know that four degrees is uh, just under about half of your fist at arm's length, like we talked about at the start of the episode. So, you know, that's actually pretty close in the nighttime sky. If you have a pair of binoculars and you point it at the moon on the night of the eighth, uh, Saturn is going to be the brightest star so that's still in the same field of view as the binoculars.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, um, when, you know, if you have a wider field view telescope, um, you know, if you can get the five degrees ish, uh, you know, field of view to see the moon and Saturn all at the same time, uh, would be quite striking.
0: Yeah, that's right. Because you'd be able to see the rings of Saturn and craters mm-hmm. on the moon and stuff like that. Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, that's pretty wild. So cool. All right. On the 10th, um, we have the full moon and on that night, the full moon and neptune are going to be really close together in fact just 3 degrees apart um neptune is going to be 3 degrees north of the moon and neptune uh is is just uh i think about 7.8 or 7.7 magnitude at this time cuz it's just about at opposition and uh and so that is a really good opportunity to hunt down neptune so neptune can be can be difficult to hunt down cuz it kind of just looks like a star too doesn't it
1: yeah, it does. Uh, if you have larger apertures, um, it might start to take on a little bit of a disc shape and you, uh, sometimes can tease out uh, the color, uh, on Neptune as well. The, the blue sometimes will come through with, with bigger telescopes.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I think, uh, to my eye anyway, it's been a few years since I really, um, did this with a larger telescope. I, I typically try to hunt it down every year. Um, But yeah, 10-inch telescope seemed to be, for me anyway, the minimum aperture to start to see any of that that color. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. On the 11th, um, observers that aren't Shane and I, unless Shane has a vacation he hasn't told me about, will have the opportunity to see Jupiter really close to the moon. I think we're actually in the worst spot. In some areas of the world, it's going to get less than two degrees away. Um, Jupiter will be 1.8 degrees north of the moon on the 11th. But uh, for us here in Saskatchewan, Shane, I think it's six degrees. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's a a pretty big difference there, unfortunately for us. But still, six degrees, not too bad, should be able to kind of see that Jupiter is the brightest thing uh, next to the moon. And one of the advantages is that Jupiter is so bright, you can even see it from a city. Um, is that, uh, hey, you'll be able to not even have to use your binoculars or a telescope to see it. And from here anyway, um, uh, the moon is very bright and can tend to wash out things that are nearby. But uh, I think because Jupiter is so bright, should be able to see them uh, well-placed together in the uh, in the evening sky on the 11th of September.
1: Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Then on the 14th, it's like almost every night, there's something there for about two weeks. Uranus is going to be less than a degree south of the moon. And again, Uranus, um, although it's almost sixth magnitude, it's it's pretty difficult to see with your eye. Binoculars are a must. And uh, again, kind of looks like a star. If you have a bigger telescope, you might see uh, some aquamarine color, but um, it can be kind of just a challenge to pick it out from the star field. But on the night of the fourteenth, Uranus being less than a degree away from the moon, the moon helps you point that out. You point your binoculars at the moon, and boom, the bright sixth magnitude star right beside the moon—that's Uranus.
1: Yeah, um, again, another cool opportunity to see um, a planet that can sometimes be a little challenging to find, depending where it is. So, uh, with it so close to the moon, um, yeah, you know, you're you have a really good opportunity there, and. Uh, when I used to have an eight inch Newtonian, um, I could tease out some of the color both in Neptune and Uranus and, uh, you know, maybe that, uh, I don't have that telescope anymore, unfortunately, but you know, again, if you do have a larger telescope, um, it's well worth, uh, taking some time to observe this.
0: Yeah. Uh, on the 16th, Neptune is going to be at opposition. So, um, like we were talking about there, uh, just a few nights before, Um, on the 10th, the Moon and Neptune are going to be only three degrees apart. Um, So that means that Neptune is going to be at its brightest, largest point uh, as seen from Earth. So uh, what opposition means is that Neptune is going to be opposite the sun in the sky as seen from Earth. So that means that it's getting, um, you know, it's at a good point of illumination uh, just due to the geometry. um, And then it's going to appear, you know, well well placed uh, next to the Moon there. Uh, on the night of the 10th. So I recommend people uh, trying to hunt it down. You know, a lot of these sort of what's up uh, sort of things, they don't put Uranus and Neptune in, but in my experience, like teaching classes to uh, beginning um, stargazers or or just folks in general, um, I've had a lot of people take the class and uh, they have some, sometimes they have very basic uh, telescopes, but the one thing they wanted to do was to hunt down all of sort of, uh, you know, the eight planets in the solar system and some of the minor planets. And uh, I've seen people just go to like Canadian Tire, which is, um, you know, like a a small uh, department store and get like a really inexpensive, like 70 millimeter telescope and come to the class and get some advice and then go out and kind of hunt down the planets and minor planets uh, during the course of, of the autumn semester. So yeah, it's, it's really cool to, uh, to see that play out. Yeah, for sure. Last quarter moon is on the 17th and Mars is going to be four degrees south of the moon on that night.
1: Yeah. Um, We're starting to get to that point now where Mars is uh, visible a little earlier in the night and um We've been saying this for a few months now, but this is, uh, the opposition year for Mars. I believe opposition is in December sometime. Um, so it's really cool to start observing Mars now and just watch it grow in size as it gets Mm -hmm. closer and closer to earth. And, um, the other thing that's kind of neat is if you spend a lot of time observing Mars right now, um, you sort of train your eye to see more and more detail with Mars. And then as it gets bigger, because you've been observing it so much, you probably will see a little bit more than you would if you, um, uh, you know, had never started uh, or sorry, if you would never have started observing early, you probably would not see as much detail.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, you know, my my nephew and his son um, are just starting to get out uh, this 80 millimeter telescope I, I had sent down to my family um, a year and a half ago. And when I was testing that telescope out to make sure it was going to work, I wanted to get a really simple telescope that would give a wide field of view. So it's easy to find stuff, but then be capable of actually seeing a little bit on the planets, you know, because mm-hmm. just finding the planets or finding whatever it is you're looking for can be the difficult part. So this telescope is designed to make it really easy to find the stuff and give a pretty good view of the stuff. Once you actually find it, 80 millimeters uh, pulls in enough light. Um, and, uh, that telescope, um, Know as Mars was right at opposition, I was able to see like the main features on Mars, like Certus Major. I was able to see the polar caps, you know, I was really able to see the color on the disc. Um, you know, it really will show it, uh, really will show it quite well. And that's like uh, a hundred dollar 80 millimeter F5 telescope, which is uh, kind of what I do recommend to beginners if if they're sort of uh, uh, dead set on actually getting some sort of instrument because I think those sometimes referred to as uh ST80 type telescopes are, are great little instruments to get going.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They're uh, inexpensive and very capable.
0: Yeah. On the 19th, the Curtis X is visible. What is the Curtis X chain, And is there treasure buried there?
1: it's a, it's a clear obscure feature on the moon, uh, which is just a shadow play. Um, so these happen all of the time. I shouldn't say all of the time, but every month there's usually a Mm -hmm. few of these clear obscure effects that you can see on the moon. So essentially like with the craters and ridges and all of that stuff that is on the moon, uh, at certain points, it'll catch, uh, the sun at the right angle. So certain parts are illuminated while other parts are in shadow. And it creates, um, you know, like in this case, the Curtis X, which is uh, similar to the Warner X or the Lunar X that um, might have a little more uh, fame, but uh, same idea. You know, it's a neat thing to observe and uh, certainly worth checking out.
0: On the 23rd, the zodiacal light starts to become visible in the morning sky. And uh, so you have to be looking towards the east and you're going to see a big pillar light. Remember, I think it was last, was it last year or was it just earlier this year that there was, maybe it was last year. I feel like it was last year. They had those articles that came out talking about how the zodiacal light might be related to, uh, uh material being given off by Mars. Am I misremembering that scene or do you remember that?
1: Um, no, I think you're right. Uh, Dave Chapman, when he was on the podcast mentioned that, that, uh, when he was in Florida, he was observing the zodiacal light and, um, I uh, was wondering about its origin and did some research, I think, and connected with some other folks. And I, I believe that that is the, the belief now that it originated in Mars. But maybe I'm confusing that with the Gegenschein. I can't remember now.
0: No, I think you're right. I think that's that's my recollection, too. So um, what you can do, what people can do is when they get up early in the morning, uh, you want to make sure that you're up uh, about an hour before uh, daylight begins to interfere before the star the before the sky starts to get bright and the stars start going away. Um, and you want to look towards kind of the east southeast, and you'll see this very narrow, tiny pillar giant pillar of light that will stretch up almost looks like faintly like the Milky Way, but the Milky Way isn't there. It's sort of perpendicular to the Milky Way, really.
1: yeah, yeah, it's kind of a neat thing to see, but definitely definitely need some darker skies as well to see that um. You know, if you're observing in the backyard in a city, uh there's no there's no hope.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of dark skies on the 25th of September, we have the new moon. What does that have to do with dark skies, Shane?
1: Um, well, the moon, even like a, a 50% moon or sometimes even a quarter moon, uh has so much light reflected back that it really washes out the night sky for deep sky observing. Um Early on in my amateur uh, astronomy career, if you want to call it that, um, I uh, I went out of the city on a night when there is about uh, a thirty percent moon. I drove an hour away to get to darker skies, and the lesson I learned that night is even um, you know in an area that would typically be very dark, when there's that much moon in the sky, it looks the sky looks the same as it would from my backyard in the city. Uh, the moon just washes out an awful lot of the sky, so. For astronomers that really enjoy deep sky observing. Um, and so, deep sky observing, we're talking about galaxies, nebula, uh, and uh, globular clusters in particular. If you're into those three objects, you want it to be as dark as possible, which is New Moon. So, that really highlights the best time for those objects.
0: And we have Jupiter at opposition the following night. So, oh, I've wow. been Yeah, and 26th of September, Jupiter is at opposition. And uh I've been doing some Jupiter observing. How about you, Shane? Have you been looking at this uh the giant gas giant?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I really enjoy this time of the year. I love looking at Jupiter and Saturn. And then uh, you know, the bonus is that uh Mars will be opposition too. So this is a great time if you're into planetary observing. Mm -hmm. And uh certainly Jupiter at opposition is, you know, a fantastic night and um, you know, we still have a couple more months of of good quality Jupiter observing uh, in front of us.
0: Yeah, it should be good. Uh, of course, you can easily see the four Galilean moons of of Jupiter. If you have uh, even like my seven by thirty fives, uh, uh, I guess it was a couple of weeks back. I was just just out. We had a had a good clear night, but the moon was up and just took my binoculars out and was looking at the moons of of Jupiter um, through my little telescopes The the moons really stick out. Um, My wife and I were looking at it uh, two nights ago and the moons were in like this really strange configuration, almost like two colons on either side of uh, Jupiter. I don't know which moons they were, but they were almost like sort of one on top of each other on one side one on top of each other on the other side. And then we could see the many of the bands uh, on Jupiter very clearly. And you could see a little bit of the detail between the bands. Um, And then three weeks ago, uh, Mike and Peter and I, we had uh, Mike's 12 inch on uh on on jupiter and peter has a 10 inch and uh, he noticed that there was this black dot there and came over and kind of pointed out to us we're like whoa there's a shadow transit uh taking place jupiter was just rising and as uh peter peter's got pretty sharp eyes pretty good observer and uh and he uh he had picked that up but even when jupiter was maybe just like 15 degrees high and kind of as we watched it um, rise up out of the sort of gunk the uh the shadow transit became more and more visible i think mike's now got a burning passion to hunt down more of these shadow transits after seeing that he hadn't seen as many of them before um and yeah once you see them they're they're pretty cool to see you can see uh some stark contrast as as the shadow of one of the moons of jupiter goes across the cloud tops is a really really cool thing to see
1: yeah no that is very cool i I enjoy all those, uh, transits when they occur. Um, I haven't seen any this year though. I, I need to, um, uh, I, I, I need to just, I think put some, some of those on the calendar to make sure that I'm planning to go out those nights. Although some of the like double transits that have occurred this year, I think we've been cloudy. If I remember correctly, I don't think we've been able yeah. to see all of them. So we have, not you're right. Yeah yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: There was, there was one a few nights ago. I think Mike nabbed it. Um, or he nabbed one of the, yeah, he uh, did. Yeah. Yeah. He nabbed one of the, one of the transits there. Um, yeah. So, so that was uh, pretty exciting. So yeah, I think that do you have anything else to add for this episode? We're trying to, we're still sort of on quote unquote, summer vacation here trying to get some observing in during the beautiful weather. So, uh, yeah. But do you have anything left to add to this episode Shane? No, that's it, Chris. All right. Well, thanks Shane. Thanks everybody for listening. Uh, be sure to subscribe. Oh, I know what I was going to say is I put the, uh, 2023 RASC Observer's Calendar to Bed. So that will be out in about two months' time if people are looking for um, these sort of events and, and have a nice wall calendar that you can refer to and, and plan your observing around. Uh, that will be coming out. I am the editor for that calendar and uh, pretty excited to finally get my first full edition out this year. So very exciting. Okay. Um, with that, uh, if you want to send in your observing report, uh, send them to actual at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, everybody.
1: Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast,